every other form of competitive advantage that you have can be quickly duplicated in this digital age, right? If you have a product feature advantage, a competitor can copy it. If you have a service advantage, a competitor can hire a few people and deliver a similar service. But what they can't replicate are your customer success stories, the successes in the first place, as well as then customers telling those stories for other people to hear. So, so how, how do you copy that? <laughs> you can't. Welcome to another episode of the State of Customer Storytelling podcast. My guest today is Jeff Ernst. Jeff is the co-founder and CEO at Slap5, which is the first customer marketing software platform. He started Slap5 because of his belief that customer stories are really the last bastion of, of real competitive advantage uh, for you know, B2B firms. Um, and he's also the co-founder of the customer-led movement, which we can get into. And he has an extensive background as an executive, a founder, consultant, and an analyst, um, having previously served in leadership roles at the Buyer Persona Institute, uh, Forrester Research, uh, Cadian, and, and actually many other companies in that software and technology space. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me on and congratulations on your podcast. Great to hear that you're doing this. Absolutely. And uh, very excited to, for the chat today. I know I've, I've learned quite a, I've learned a lot from you over the years and all of our conversations. So let's dive right in. Um, I know that you, you mentioned, um, you know, customer stories told in the, in customers voices are really the, the last bastion of competitive advantage, uh, especially, you know, in B2B specifically. Let's let's dig into that more. You know, tell me more about that. What what exactly do you do, do you mean by that? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So let's let's dig into that because if you think about it, every other form of competitive advantage that you have can be quickly duplicated in this digital age, right? If you have a product feature advantage, a competitor can copy it. If you have a service advantage, a competitor can hire a few people and deliver a similar service. But what they can't replicate are your customer success stories, you know, the, the, the successes in the first place, as well as then the, the customers telling those stories for other people to hear. So, so how, how do you copy that? <laughs> you can't. And so that, that's why I say it's really the last bastion of competitive advantage because it's the one thing that can't be stolen or copied or replicated. And in, in, in the digital age, everything else is just so quickly to be done. But also when, when you think about today's modern buying cycle, and I did a lot of research at this, uh, both at Forrester, I built the buyer, buyer persona research methodology. And then, as you mentioned, I've worked with the Buyer Persona Institute. I've done thousands of buyer interviews. And the most important thing, the biggest questions, fears, and doubts that buyers have as they go through a buying process at every single stage, every one of them is best told in the voice of your customers. Uh, as much as we love to put out our own product collateral and we all love our products, what buyers really want to hear is they want that crystal ball into what life is like as a customer. And any company that's able to provide that crystal ball is going to have a distinct competitive advantage over those that can't because you're just going to earn trust. You're going to overcome whatever fears or doubts your buyers have, and, and they're just going to look at you much quicker as that trusted partner. So, so that's really what I mean. And I'm sure you're seeing it as well in your business too, that, that people come to you because they're, they're also trying to solve that trust gap that exists in the market. And customer voice is the best way to, to fill that trust gap. So true. And, and, and I know that you mentioned like 
you know, providing that, that crystal ball. I'm curious, like, how do you see, you know, customer storytelling kind of evolving or how have you seen the space evolving over the past couple of years in terms of that? Is it, you know, firms need, need more customer stories to be uh, competitive than, you know, than maybe, you know, five years ago, you know, maybe more segmented, you know, and more accessible, but yeah. What are the shifts that, that you've seen as you've been very, you know, intimately yeah. involved in this space for, for, for many years now? Yeah, for sure. And uh, I like to think that I've helped lead some of this shift. Maybe that's a little bit of wishful thinking, but, uh, but there's definitely a shift going on here because the, the traditional mindset when it comes to customer proof are the things that I call like the happy quotes, and the you know the kind of the classic PDF case study written in the third person by a professional writer after interviewing your customer, where it's lost all that authentic first person tone of voice, right? It just happens in in the traditional case studies tend to be all about your you know the, they make the product your product the star of the story, not the customer, and so it just doesn't answer those biggest questions, fears, and doubts that buyers have. Right, and and if if you go through and look at if if you do the analysis to really understand what are what are those questions, fears, and doubts that your buyers have, and then compare that to what's the insights delivered in your customer stories, you're going to see a huge gap. And so, like I said, historically companies have always relied on these four-page PDFs, challenge, solution, result format with the little happy quote in the sidebar, or they do the the happy day scenario stories where you know. The customer was in a world of hurt. They came to us, wear the knight in shining armor, and now they're living happily ever after. I mean, that's the story arc of a typical customer story. But where I see it shifting now is it, it is aligning more with how buyers buy because what you really need to do is understand, okay, what, what are those insights that buyers need in order to make a confident decision and buy from you? And it could be objections that they raise. It could be confusion that can, how they have. It could be misunderstandings. And so I call this taking a more surgical approach because once you understand understand those things, you can then frame the right questions to ask your customers so that you're sure to be gathering those types of insights. And so that's sort of like the, the subject matter of what you're capturing. And then, of course, there's a whole, the delivery side of that is the, the other half of the equation, right, is that, you know, video today is just so important. But I, I, I say video and audio today are, are both really important. But what they both have in advantage of over any kind of text format or written format is that you hear that authentic tone of voice. And that's how human beings decide whether to trust something is from the tone of voice. When you hear the emotion, when you hear the, uh, you know, the, the anguish that the person might have been feeling or the joy as they talk about their results. And also when it's done in a way that it's not just somebody sounding like they've been, they're reading from a script, what they've been told to say, looking off, right, blah, 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 boom, right? But when, when they're actually sharing their experiences and in sounding authentic, I mean, that, that is just so critical today because, because buyers are smart, right? And, and again, I'm focusing on buyers. And when I say buyer, it could be when you're going after net new logos, right? Those are buyers. When you're trying to get customers to onboard, okay, they're in buying mode. When you're trying to get existing customers to expand and buy more, okay, they're in buying mode. And when you want them to renew, they're in buying mode. So, so all of those cases is, is what I talk about with buyers. And, and, and this content needs to be speaking to all all of them and, and whatever those questions, fears and doubts are that they have when they're in that mode. It's so true. Like one, you know, thing we say a lot is like, you don't get tone through text. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just that right. simple. Right. Um, yeah. So one thing I'm also seeing, and I'm curious to get your take on is like, 
I feel like, you know, speaking of the kind of contrasting like the old way with, with you know, the, the future, right? To me, it, it feels like the, you know, the old way was very much like customer evidence and, and customer proof is sort of like a checkpoint, you know, mid later down the funnel, right? That was kind of the old way. Okay, like kick them over the line with, with, with the customer evidence versus now it seems like, you know, and, and the data obviously su- supports this is, um, you know, buyers today, you know, they want to they wanna self-consume, right? They want to do their own research. And with that in mind, and, you know, they're going to, they want to be able to dig into uh, customer stories and customer content really at, at all stages of the customer journey. Now that, that, which the, the, the shape of that and the length and the format of that customer content may differ depending on, you know, the buyer journey, of course, but what do you think about that? And like that sort of like, you know, that, that shift. Yeah, it is. And, and I think what, what falls under that shift that you just described is this whole idea of like customer reference programs, for example. And we're all used to having to hoard our customer references till the very end of the sales cycle till it's the last thing you need in order to get a prospect over the finish line. because And then you're going to go ask a customer to do a reference because you don't want to burn them out and use the same customers over and over again. And so that's one of the kind of classical ways of thinking that gets in the way. And another one is that, yeah, we can't tap into our customers and even ask them to do a customer story until they've been with us for three years. They're totally happy. There's no upsell going on. There's no renewal discussions going on. There's no issues. There's support issues or open tickets. And like how many customers are ever in that nirvana state? <laughs> They're not. <laughs> and, 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 and so these are a couple of the areas where I, I try to get people to re- modernize their thinking because some of the best stories might come from customers that are just signed on from you with you, right? That's when they're the happiest. That's when they can tell you how they went about evaluating and comparing their options in the market and why they selected you and and why they decided to make a change in the first place, which are amazing insights that customers have right after they sign the dotted line to be a new customer of yours that they might forget later on, right? And so, so I work with my customers to help capture stories at that point in time. And then every other point in the sales cycle, there's those magic moments that we call slap five moments where you know they finished onboarding that's a great time to capture customer voice uh you know when they maybe after they've been with you for a year it's a great time to ask uh, uh, you know start to ask about the value that they've been deriving and get examples and use cases of particular valuable things they've done maybe they've filled out a net promoter score survey and they've given you a 9 or 10 that's a great time to get some feedback from them on why they gave you a 9 or 10 that could contribute to your customer story library so so these are just some of the ways that that people need to kind of expand their thinking because it's no longer about the monolithic case study or the um, you know the, the or just the happy quotes that that people love to sprinkle sprinkle all around their websites it doesn't mean there's not a place for the happy quotes right but I, I like to say to a company when, when you just get these happy trite quotes you know read them aloud at your company meetings and get your employees jazz because that's really what they're good for they make every give everybody goosebumps but but that the, they don't really serve the needs of a buyer who's trying to overcome their their fears and doubts. Absolutely. And, and to your point about, you know, competitive advantage, like if your company, you know, has just has happy quotes and then the competitor ha- has really what you're talking about, uh, you know, the real, um, you know, insights and, and, you know, actually customers sharing, you know, knowledge, experience and advice, you know, in rich media, I mean, who's going to have the competitive advantage, right? So super, super good point. I, I want to hit on like earned advocacy versus, paid customer advocacy and how does it sort of change, you know, if it does based on like company size, right? Because I think 
some yep. smaller you know companies are you know thinking that okay it's all well and good but i don't have a customer advocacy program i i'm a startup and i just need to quickly you know get some social proof out there right how do you think about that sort of relationship between of course earned customer advocacy and paid customer advocacy yep. and of course you know with the idea being you know how how is you know if i'm a marketer listening to this how can i succeed and, and do what we all want to do which is more earned customer advocacy Right. Yeah. And I'm glad you raised that. And I'm, I'm glad you've, you've, you've uh, been following that because I, I coined the, those phrases uh, probably about five years ago, uh, coined earned versus paid advocacy. But it wasn't totally original because it was a colleague of mine at Forrester that coined the term earned versus paid versus owned media. And so I co-opted that and applied it to advocacy because I think everybody knows in media that earned media is like your your most valuable media, right? I mean, you can pay all you want, but but the the ROI and the real bang for the buck comes from from earned media. And so same thing with advocacy. I mean, the, so just to describe what I mean by that, this is I think where advocacy is shifting. And the reason why it's so relevant to customer stories is because the more you take a more modern view of advocacy, which is earned advocacy, the easier it's gonna to be to get customers to step up and wanna share their stories. Because here's how we've always done it in the past. We think about customer advocacy as, let's identify the top three to 5% of our raving lunatic fan customers, and let's go after them and beg them to do favors for us, and we'll bribe them by paying them $500 to do a testimonial video, or we'll pay them you know, 50 bucks to go write a a review on G2, or we'll pay them, you know, 300 bucks every time they do a reference call or something like that. And and so that's what I call paid advocacy, right? You're you're offering a bribe, and then the customers waits for the bribe to come, then they do it, and then they get their reward. It's like training a dog, right? The, the, the problem with that is that it turns your re relationship with the customer into a transactional relationship. And it then it, it becomes one where they're only going to evaluate whether they do it based on the size and value of the reward. And if that's not sizable enough, they're going to say no. Um, and it also what it does is it, it releases the dopamine in the brain, right? If you're using gamification and leaderboards and things like that, which is not a long lasting happiness drug in the brain compared to oxytocin, right? Which is, again, I don't want to get too much into brain science, but I've studied it a lot. Um, you know, so earned advocacy is all about creating a two-way exchange of value with your customers. So you make them successful. The power of reciprocity is going to turn, make them turn around and want to make you successful. And so this is how customer advocacy has evolved rapidly. And too many people are still in the paid advocacy realm. I'm trying to get more people to realize to do it this way. But with, you know, with earned advocacy, you're running a program where the customers are given lots of opportunities to showcase their knowledge, experience, and advice. They're able to build their reputation. And so there's a lot of intrinsic value for them, especially to share their customer stories. So in, in, instead of giving them rewards and uh, payments, you know, instead they're getting intrinsic benefits by building their career, things that they value even more that are going to make them 
uh, want you know really feel more of a trusted relationship versus a transactional relationship with you. And this is what releases the oxytocin in the brain, the love drug, and builds long-term lasting relationships with customers. So again, as it relates to customer stories, you know the, the, the best way to do customer stories is to be doing it throughout the customer life cycle, not just saving them up until that one point, but in order to be doing that without hindering your customers, you know, you you need to be engaging them in acts of advocacy that where they're they're mutually benefiting, so that they're going to be like you know readily and anxiously awaiting the next opportunity that you offer them. And and I can say, I mean, I I've just done like three customer interviews for my clients today with their customers, and I mean, every one of them was like so appreciative. I, I thank you for the opportunity to speak. Thank you for showcasing the work we've done. We feel like we've done so much great work, but we know we're still barely scratching the surface. So I'm honored that you want to recognize our our success to date, right? And, and because that that's the power of um, of earned advocacy, right? So so I don't know if you're seeing the same thing, but but it you know a lot of it comes down to the the incentives, and I, I like to use the analogy, Sam. If you think about if you were to go to TripAdvisor and you were to see a review from about a resort, and then you found out that that person was paid a thousand dollars to write that review, how much trust are you going to put in that review? Or if you're if you're looking to hire somebody and you go to their LinkedIn profile and you see the a recommendation from them but at the bottom it said yeah my former boss was paid $250 to write this recommendation uh, how much trust are you going to put in that so so i think that's the the real the real uh, huge need for us to get to earned advocacy because buyers again are they're they're too smart they're going to see through people that are just out there being paid to shill for you it's it's so true and and to me it comes also back to like the medium right and and um you know v- video and and audio you can tell, you know, you can tell when someone's just, you know, cares genuinely, you know, or if they're just, as you said, just kind of being paid to shill. It's the same reason why, you know, people do, you know, reference calls before hiring people, right? You, you, you're not going to conduct that over email, uh, you know, to check someone's background. You want to talk to the person, right. see how enthusiastic they, they really are. I, I love that point. And you, you brought up a good point about uh, a two-way exchange of value. And, and that's so crucial. And and I think one of the things that we, uh, as customer marketers and, and marketing leaders, we, we think about a lot is like, uh, one of the best ways to do that is like helping uh, our advocates, you know, build their reputation and career, of course, right? But mm-hmm. sometimes that can be like sort of a, a nebulous thing to aspire to, right? And, you know, how do you, you know, how, how do you go about that? How, how do you help people you know, build their reputation and career? Is it, is it, you know, content and, and promoting that content or, you know, yeah. What, what, what can we do to, to, to do that two-way exchange of value? Yeah. So one of the mindset shifts, and I actually wrote a whole ebook about this. And the first point of my eight points on how to go about this is the thing you have to put out of your mind is to go to customers, begging them for, testimonials and when they say testimonials i mean like the the happy quotes right not not the great testimonial video work that you do but you know so stop asking them for testimonial quotes endorsements or recommendations 
because first of all, there's nothing in it for the customer to give you those things. And also they oftentimes have handcuffs on. They're not allowed to do in shill for a vendor, especially in more regulated industries. It's especially hard. But then the larger the company, you ask, you know, how does this vary by size of company? The larger the company you work for, the more you're prohibited from going on the record of endorsing or recommending a vendor. Uh, however, People are always sharing opinions. People love to share opinions. So, that, so what I coach people on how to do this is to say, make the shift from begging customers for their testimonial videos, endorsements, and recommendations. I'm sorry, testimonial quotes, endorsements, and recommendations. But instead, present them with great opportunities to showcase their knowledge, their experience, and their advice. And if you think about it, everybody loves to share their knowledge because it makes them feel smart. Everybody loves to share their experience because it makes them feel successful. And everybody loves to share their advice because it makes them feel heard. And so that, think that's a huge, huge difference. And it's all in how you present it to the customer. And so if you say to the customer, look, you've been with us for two years. You haven't done anything for us yet. I'm begging, begging, begging. My CEO wants us to do three case studies this quarter. Could you do one for us, please? It's like, no, <laughs> it's a big burden. I mean, you're asking for a big burden and, and, and there's nothing in it for them versus say, hey, customer, you, you've, you've, been, you've, uh, you've done some really impressive things. I think there should be, we have a great opportunity for you to showcase that so other people that are behind you in their journey uh, that might want to learn from. And so we've got this great opportunity for to show you to share the success that you've been experiencing. This is all part of how you craft the story too. You want to craft the story such that it's about their success, not about how great the product is or service. Uh, and, and you want to make them the star of the story. And I can tell you that, you know, my, my whole business is built and as is yours on helping our clients get their customers to feel that way. It, it's never failed when when you make that shift. I mean, begging people to do case studies always fails, but but when you present it with these opportunities for them to showcase their knowledge, experience, and advice, it never fails. The only time I ever run into trouble or resistance or places where I might have to soft pedal it a little bit is where they say, "Yeah, but um, but I'm still my company will still not let me." go on the record and, and use my company logo publicly. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, what I say to the, my clients is, okay, so for that customer, they have some great stories that they're sharing. What if you tell that customer, you know, we're not going to put this on YouTube or CNN or you know, broadcasting it public for the world to see, but we'll use this in sales cycles that are with highly qualified prospects. And, and now that customer has covered their butt and you've now controlled the distribution of that story. But even having a story like that, that you can use in your sales cycles, it's phenomenally successful because I talked about like the reference overuse and burnout earlier. Imagine now that your sales team can have this library of customer stories that they can use to reduce the need or deflect the need for these live one-on-one -on -one reference calls. And they can introduce them earlier in the sales cycle. That's a home run. And so, so, so there's also, you know, there's, there's how you position it to the customer. That's number one, first and foremost, but then there's also giving the customer some flexibility in how you use the stories that they capture. Not everything has to be made for primetime TV. It's true. And, and how do you think about kind of deciding that, right? Because like, like you said, not everything needs to be, you know, sometimes things, you know, it's really about the content, right. And, and, you know, rough and ready is, is, is more than okay. And then, you know, maybe if it's like a featuring on the homepage, you know, it does 
you know, need to stand up to the to the quality or the yep. the design of the rest of the brand. Yeah. How do you think about that relationship in terms of the quality and, and setting an overall strategy around that? Is it just as simple as like yeah. mapping it out and, and fitting it to the place or what have you learned there? Yeah, what I've learned there is, and, and what I coach my clients on too, is also to, to think about what strategic growth initiatives of your company are you trying to support with the, this, these customer stories that you're creating? If the strategic growth initiative that you're trying to support is to position your company as a thought leader and create a, 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 a great brand impression about your company, then yes, the, the, the highly produced, and I've seen some of your work, it's amazing, the professionally produced work that you do. Thank you. I mean, that makes an amazing brand impression on somebody that, you know, put that on your homepage, showcase that, play that at the beginning of your sessions at your user conference, play it at your company meetings. That gives people goosebumps, right? It, 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 it's so powerful. You know, some of the, the highly produced stuff may not be as credible when you're using it in place of a reference call. Okay. And, and so this is where I see some people making the mistake. They're trying to take the same vehicle and use it for all channels because I paid this much money for it. Let me just fire it everywhere where, where that more authentic non-produced content might be a lot more effective in convincing when, when you're, use, you're, when you're trying to use it because you've asked a customer to answer the 10 or 15 most frequently asked questions on your reference calls and you've created a recorded reference and and you're now presenting all those in, in those cases the person's job is not you know they're they're not looking to be entertained or for a brand impression that person is looking to really get that crystal ball into what life as a customer is like so they're going to be more concerned about is this addressing this concern i have is it addressing this doubt you know and, and if it doesn't it, it's not going to be as effective so in that case, it's it's sort of the substance is even more important than the style. And so there's, there's a place for everything. But but to answer your question, it, it's really what is the strategic growth initiative or the challenge in the market that you're facing that you're trying to overcome with this customer story and let that determine the format, what, how professionally produced it is or versus how more authentic it is and and how you distribute it. And, and there's a need for everything. And as I said earlier, I mean, and you know, too, but the, you know, the customer voice it's, it answers questions and, and solves doubts at every stage of the buying cycle from very first awareness. It helps people kind of get a good feeling that other people have solved this problem similarly all the way through evaluation, through purchase, and then through post-sale. So true. And like you said, it, it's really like a yes and not like an either or, right? It all comes back to, to the strategy. I think, you know, for anyone listening, that that's, you know, such a, a salient point is like, you know, just like anything, uh, you know, first, it, you know, you, it, it pays to get really clear on, you know, what is the strategy and, you know, what are the key strategic initiatives and understanding where are the gaps and where, you know, as you said, customer stories and customer content can, can fit in there. You mentioned reference calls a, a couple of times, and I want to dig into that a bit because it's reference calls, I think, are this sort of uh, interesting, you know, phenomenon where like the references don't necessarily like to do them. Buyers, they salespeople don't like to give them out. You know, buyers, it's it's kind of like inconvenient for everyone, but it's sometimes, you know, helpful. I mean, in some situations for sure, but like at the same time, you know, I'm curious, just genuinely curious, like, do you guys think, and is, is it your goal somewhat to kind of 
you know, I don't want to say kill the reference call. That's a little too dramatic, but like, right. you know, it, it, and to some extent, like, is that your goal? And, and yeah. Yeah. Well, you're never going to kill the reference call, right? Because there's always going to be a need to either procurement requires the buyer to talk to three references just to check the box. Or in some cases, there there might be some serious concern that a buyer has where they need to run that by a few, or maybe it also depends on the stage of your of life cycle your company is in, right? The earlier stage you're in, the more people and the more innovative the solution you're bringing to market versus kind of a legacy solution, the more they're going to want to hear uh, other people that have experimented and taken the plunge with something new. Um, you know, again, if you're selling to a total early adopter, they're going to buy it without references, right? We're talking the the, the people that aren't really early adopters who need to hear the the other people's experiences. So, so, so that um, again, you're never going to kill the, the need for references, but you can greatly reduce them because salespeople cringe, right? When they get the when they're asked for the references because they know they're going to lose some control here. You never know what that customer is actually going to say. Did they have a bad day? Did they have a fight with their spouse last night? Uh, you know, they got to just be in a bad mood, or are they going to be in a great mood? And and it, it, they take two or three weeks oftentimes to align calendars to get them to take place. So it's basically putting a wedge in your sales cycle. It's delaying it. It's giving competitors an opportunity to get in there. And, and it's just, it's making it really hard. And so if you can have this concept, I call it recorded references. Uh, but but if you can find out, and, and this is what, one of the things we do with our clients, we find out what are those 10 or 15 most frequently asked questions on customer reference calls. And let's interview a few customers and ask them those 10 or 15 questions and answer them with discrete little video snippets and publish that on, on something, you know, put that into the hands of your sales reps right within Salesforce where they can, or HubSpot, whichever, whatever CRM you're using, you know, and allow your sales reps to try to use that now to deflect the need for live reference calls because it's going to do a number of things. One, it's going to allow the sales rep to respond right away when they get asked for the references. And so that you don't have that two or three week gap of scheduling. And so it's going to give the customer some of that satisfaction of hearing what other customers have to say. As I mentioned earlier, the second thing it's going to do is it's going to allow the sales rep to use those earlier in the sales cycle so that they can start to overcome doubts and earn brand preference earlier versus hoarding things until the, the end. And then uh, and then ultimately, it's going to be a, a better experience for your customers who are giving that reference content because, and this has been my experience, I don't know if you have it too, but when we position this as an opportunity to customers to do one of these recorded reference interviews, they'll oftentimes say, you know, I like talking, I like doing reference calls because I like having conversations with customers, but what I don't like is having to answer the same 10 questions over and over and over again. So why don't you just record me answering the vanilla questions and then I'll jump on the call and answer those two or three additional questions that that are special, unique to this prospect. <laughs> because, because some people still like doing the reference calls because they're expanding their network. And so, so now you're giving your customer a better experience because either they don't have to do reference calls at all or you, or you use them for other forms of advocacy or when they do jump on calls to build their network, they're, they're, they're having a much richer, shorter but richer conversation and more meaty where they're not just regurgitating the same thing that they say every time. And I've got customers, I can't say their name, but one customer in particular that, that's reduced the need for the live reference calls by 60%. But there's still that 40% 
that are now either shorter calls or they're um, you know things that are checking the box or you know, where, where somebody needs to dig deeper. Or it might also be the case because somebody that you know, when people ask for references, they always want it to be the same industry, the same company size, the same region, the same this, the same that, you know, same business model. So it has to be really similar. And sometimes you just don't have that the you know enough of those recorded references that that fit every single permutation of selling situation that you might be in. Got it. And yeah, that, that makes complete sense. And so, so reference calls, they're not going away. However, you know, it sounds like the best practices in, in the future of, of customer advocacy is, you know, more of a, of a, of a reliance on, on evidence and, and relatively less of a, a need for, for reference, right? Uh, is that, is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah, less of a need for that live one-on-one -on -one reference call because you lose control when you have to set those up. But, but also you know, it, it doing it in such a way that it's it's making it more pleasant and enjoyable for your customers who are who are participating in your reference program. I mean that that that's critically important too. You don't want to burn them out. You can't go back to the same customer and have them do ten reference calls a quarter. They're going to finally say, "Don't you have anybody else?" I mean, am I the only one that does this? And for a lot of companies, they only have two or three customers that are willing to do reference calls. I mean, what do you do in that situation? <laughs> I mean, so it's tough. I mean, it's and that's why the you know, the value of the work that you and I both do. I mean, it's tremendous in in helping reduce the need for the these live one-on-one -on -one reference calls. Reduce it without eliminating it. I call it reference deflection. Just like you have support mm. deflection in the call center, you try to deflect calls to self-service. Same thing. You're deflecting reference calls to self-service. That's my analogy. It's, it's a perfect analogy. And it's I think it's very, it's exactly in line with the really like overall macro trends of buyers as well as which is of course self-service, right? You know, for, for any marketer, marketing leaders, you know, customer marketers, advocate marketers, or who are listening to this and and uh, maybe they're they, they love what they're hearing, uh, but they feel like you know, man, like we need to get started. We we need to catch up. You know, how how should someone get started? You know, if they're they haven't done a ton of um, you know customer stories, uh, you know, and don't have a very robust uh, sort of library uh, or practice yet of creating. Um, you know, these, these customer stories. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I, I work with companies that are just starting all the time like that. They're, 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 they're first, uh, first dipping their toe in the water of knowing that they need to do this, knowing that they need customer proof, but where do we start? Usually where people do start, unfortunately is, okay, we're going to, follow the traditional mindset, which is to write a case study, <laughs> you know? And so, because nobody ever got fired for writing a case study and, and there's still so many executives and sales leaders, they, they still think that that's the bright, shiny object, that that's still the, the best you can do. They, they're probably, they're not familiar with some of these better ways of doing things. So a lot of times the marketers or sales enablement people, or, you know, even if it's a very small companies, they're, they're, they're the one person responsible for the whole go-to-market strategy. They're they're getting this pressure from above to to just write more case studies. But what I suggest they do is, I mean, I wouldn't even start there because that that's too hard. I, I would start with, um, you know, first of all, even just ask around your company the people that have been dealing with your early customers and find out, you know, wh wh where's the rub when we try to sell? What are the objections that frequently get raised? Uh, things like that, and 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 figure out like 
just come up with a list of like five insights that if we could capture this in our customer's voice, this would knock down this objection and accelerate sales cycles in this situation, or this would make these marketing campaigns that much more effective, or this would overcome this huge mindset uh, that people have that's antiquated, that keeps us from being ready to buy the solution that we offer. Right? If, if you can really focus in on something like that and then you know, work with a firm like me, work with your firm, work with uh, themselves, you know, do it themselves, you know, pick up the phone and call the customer and ask him a couple of questions and record the phone call. Just get a few audio snippets, right? Because that's going to then allow you to prove to your management team that this stuff works, right? Even if you started with recording an audio call, you know, phone call, and, 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 and gathered a few of these snippets with customers uh, that are that are sharing these insights that knock down those biggest obstacles, you're, you're then going to see the needle move. And, and that's really what you want to do. And by doing that, you're going to have more confidence that this is the right angle. You're going to learn more about your market because of the what you you know the insights that you gather from your customers, and you're going to get more willingness from the people that own the purse strings for your company's budget to say let let's um, put a little more gas into this. And that's when they might be you know at that point ready to more formalize the program and you know be more ready to to work with Testimonial Hero or Slap Five right when they're ready to kind of step on the gas and, and do this in a more formal way, more professional way, and more re scalable, repeatable way. But I do think you can start, I have to say, like, like I was just last week, I was, I gave a, or the week before, I think I gave a presentation at the HubSpot inbound conference on, and it was exactly this to small business owners who are HubSpot users. And, um, and, and I had 150 emails afterwards from people because I, uh, asking like either for an offer that I had on best questions to ask or things, but they all kept saying this was so timely because we're chartered with doing something in this space and we've never done anything here before. So, so if you do that, uh, again, st start by making sure you're addressing some of the biggest challenges that you have or the biggest mindset shifts you need to make. Get just get, get some customer voice and start to use it and see how it works and be agile about it, right? As you try it and learn, test it. If this is ineffective, then that wasn't the right insight. The other thing that I can tell you is that with all the clients I work with, when they start to put these customer proof points and customer voice snippets into the market and sales starts to use them, sales tends to learn even more what the real objections are or what the real fears and doubts are. And so, so it's a great way also for you to see what's working in helping accelerate sales cycles, which, which at the end of the day, you know, for, for a small company just getting started is what you're ultimately looking to do, right? You're looking to bring on more customers faster. And, and so that's just a quick way to get started. That's, I love that. And, you know, so true for, especially for, for the smaller companies, right? Is like, they're very revenue focused, right? They, they need, they can't afford to sometimes play the long game. So in right. getting those, um, those quick wins with the customer stories, yeah, that, that's such a good point. Fantastic. And so Jeff, uh, where can people uh, get in touch, you know, and learn more about you learn more about slap five, uh, which I highly recommend uh, checking out. Yeah, where can people get in touch if they want to connect and learn more? Yep, you can always find me at Jeff at slap5.com, J-E-F-F, -F, and slap5 is spelled out, S-L-A-P-F-I-V-E. Um, I'm also Jeff Ernst on LinkedIn. 
uh, if you want to check me out there or slap5.com. And, and, and if, if you're intrigued by any of the, you know, these ideas and things that I was sharing, uh, you know, as I said, I do have an ebook that's like, uh, what's it called? It's from the horse's mouth. It's like how to get your customers to share their voice, which is usually the biggest challenge that people have, uh, you know, especially when they're first starting out is I just don't know if I have any, how, to, how to get my customers to want to play. And so that, that's usually the first hurdle. And as I said, we could, we could do a whole session just on that. But ping me as well if, if you want that or if you want uh, – the, the thing I mentioned that I offered at the HubSpot session, which is the best performing questions to ask your customers, that's also something I can send you. So, so if people, if you want a copy of that, just, just email me at jeff at slap5.com. Love it. Thanks so much, Jeff. This has been great. We'll have to do a round two sometime. Um, yes. And yeah, have a great uh, rest of your, your afternoon. All right. You too, Sam. Thanks for having me and, and continued good luck with your podcast series. Awesome. Well, well folks, that was a fantastic episode with Jeff Ernst, uh, CEO at Slap5. So many notes there, but you know, the taking a more surgical approach um, to your customer stories, mapping out, you know, the the QFDs, the questions, fears, and doubts, thinking about those um, you know, frequently asked questions um, that that you know buyers have, the the value of of authenticity and, and tone of voice and, and audio and video, the fact of customer stories being one of those last true competitive advantages. Right. And um, and of course, the two way exchange of value earned uh, customer advocacy versus paid customer advocacy. Uh, so, yeah, fantastic episode. Um, we'll have links in the show notes. And uh, again, this is the state of customer storytelling podcast where we really dive in and explore how you can make customer stories your competitive advantage. And uh, if you have any guests that you you want to see on the future episodes, just shoot me an email. My email is Sam. Uh, at testimonialhero.com. Thanks so much. And we will see you in the next episode.